Good morning. It's a Christmas miracle. Got my microphone on. Hey, uh, glad you're here today. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh, also one of the pastors here. And we have been uh, studying the Christmas story and specifically those places where angels show up in the story. So we've been taking some time to talk about them and just to unpack who are they, what are they, what do they do. We'll do a little more of that this morning even before we get into seeing an angel appear to Joseph in the book of Matthew. Before we do, though, I just want to highlight again some of the things Pastor Dave brought up. would love to see you here on Tuesday night, and that uh, should be a fun evening, and uh, hopefully you make that part of your, your family Christmas just to be here on Tuesday night at 6 p.m., and then also uh, some of the training that's coming for connections and for life groups. I would love to, uh, we want to pour into you and uh, help you grow. So, so be sure to take advantage of each of those things. But this morning, let's, um, let me pray and then we'll talk some more about angels. And then we'll look at one um, appeared to Joseph on a handful of different occasions. And we'll look at Joseph's response which is pretty phenomenal to how we ought to respond to God. Let me pray. Thanks, uh, Father, for Jesus and for the grace you give us in him. And I've prayed that before. I pray it and we sing it often, but it's so true. Apart, Jesus, from you and from your grace, uh, we're wasting our time and we have no hope. So thanks. Holy Spirit, I pray today that uh, as we look at your word and as we think about uh, who you are and what you've done, Uh, You might change us. You might give us faith like Joseph demonstrates and uh, help us to to believe you and obey you. I pray too against the enemy, his servants, their works, effects. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you come in power and teach us and change us by your word and make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we've been talking about angels for the last few weeks. And uh, one of the things we talked about right away is uh, just as way of review, angels are created beings. We might think of them as like some uh, mystical celestial thing that, and in some ways they are mystical. We don't know a lot about them. They're a bit of a mystery. Um, And they are spiritual beings, but they're created. They're not, uh, they're not God. We've talked about that as well. They're not to be worshiped. And they're created, they're spiritual, they're moral, they're personal beings with names. And in fact, for the last few weeks, we've looked at one by the name of Gabriel, an archangel. And there is rank among the angels. That they, they rule and reign. There's order to them. And uh, they're described as, as the heavenly host, God's army. And in that army, it's regimented. And there is rank and file and order in what God has created. Some have greater power than others and greater responsibility. And they do, as I mentioned, they have great power, but you ever thought about some of the power the angels have? After Jesus was crucified and buried, who rolled away the stone, the huge stone that it took a few buff Roman soldiers to put in place? An angel. Who battles uh, the dragon in Revelation? And binds him an angel. I mean, they're, they're powerful, but they're not God. They're not God. In fact, in, in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 20, 
21, I believe. I don't have it written down, but John sees an angel and he, he's in awe and seeing it. And he bows down to worship. The angel says, what, what are you worshiping me for? Don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant with you. Worship God. That's who I worship. Worship Jesus. And so we've seen that they're powerful, but they're not God. In fact, it talks about in Hebrews, the angels worshiping Jesus, this baby that we sang about who had become uh, our Messiah, our Savior. Angels are great examples to us. We talked about this last week, right? Their obedience, when you talk about the obedience of angels, it's immediate, it's joyful. They don't, they don't, we don't see them questioning God at any point. They just, they just do what they're told. And their worship, oh man, their worship is passionate. And there's joy and passion in their worship. But we've also seen that some angels have fallen in, from grace and they've, they've rebelled against God and sinned. And in fact, uh, Jesus said that hell is actually prepared first off for Satan and uh, the fallen angels. And the, the thing is that to them, God does not offer redemption to the angels. So we've talked about the fact that they long to look into what God is doing through Jesus to save humanity. Do you know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a sinner. You? Anybody, any others in the house? I'm good. I hope you raise your hand to acknowledge that. If not, we should probably talk. Um, but, but Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life, and yet he dies on the cross paying the penalty for my sin. See, the, the, the penalty for sin is death. The penalty for sin is uh, to spend eternity under God's wrath. But Jesus never sinned, never deserved that penalty, yet he takes it on on the cross. And that's a redemption made available to us. But do you know that that redemption was never made available and is never made available to angels who rebel against God and have fallen? Satan and a third of the heavenly host rebelled against God. That's where demons come from. And they rebelled in pride, but God never offered a way for them to be redeemed. In other words, to be made right with him. And uh, so they long to see what God is up to in saving us. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 2 verse 16, in case you're wondering if I'm telling you the truth or not, he says, for surely it's not angels that God helps. But he does help the offspring of Abraham. He does help humanity. If you would turn to him. And, and the angels remind us, we saw last week, you remember the shepherds out in the field and they see all the angels show up to worship baby Jesus? They, they remind us that the spiritual world is very, very real. That what we don't see is in fact very real. And we shouldn't ignore it. We should be aware of, of that realm and of angels. But at the same time, we shouldn't obsess over it. Because if all of a sudden you thought, oh, Josh is going to get weird now. Here we go. Well, if I would continue to obsess on those things, then yeah, you're right. But the reality is it is true. But nowhere in scripture are we ever commanded to seek out angels, to worship angels, to call for angels. None of those things show up anywhere in scripture. We're not to do those things. We should be aware. Hebrews tells us to pay attention. You might entertain an angel unaware when you serve someone. But we should never seek that out. And the same on the demonic side. We should never seek out evil forces or, or demonic things. We should keep our eyes on Jesus and live the life he's put in front of us and honor him in all things while being aware that those other that other realm is very real and active. 
And one of the things we're going to see today about angels is that they, they help to carry out God's plan. We're going to be reading about Joseph. We've been in the Gospel of Luke the last three weeks. Today we're skipping over to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to look at a handful of occasions where an angel appears to Mary's uh, husband-to-be, Joseph. And appears to him and, and guides him and carries out God's plan and, and, and really offers protection to him. I think there's times one of the things angels do by God's grace is he gives them. I think there's probably times where we've been protected by angels and have no idea that it's happened. Yet that, that's what God uses. And he used it to reach out to this young guy named Joseph. And Joseph, what we're going to see about Joseph, I'm just going to give everything away today, right in the beginning, okay? And then we're going to work through the text and see it a handful of times. But Joseph demonstrates total faith, total faith. I mean, this guy, this, this young guy, early 20s, late teens is probably how old he was demonstrates incredible faith. And if you've been here for any length of time, you've, uh, you've maybe opened up your bulletin this morning and you saw the fill in the blanks, you know, faith is blank. And you're like, oh, Josh, I know exactly what goes in that blank. I got you. I got you. And I would say, if that's you, no, 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 I got you. I got you. That means you're paying attention and you're growing and learning. So let's unpack this definition of faith. And it goes like this. Faith, biblical faith, we can break this down into a handful of pieces, is number one, believing God's word. The first piece of biblical faith is believing God's word when it comes to us. So ultimately, what, what is God's word to us? The Bible, right? We, we say that he wrote it all down. We believe what God has said is true. And we're to believe it in all that it teaches. Faith is taking God at his word. We're going to see Joseph do that. And, and trust and patience and, and hope are the fruits of faith. They, they, they show themselves in the confidence we feel in believing what God has said. But if, if you're like, um, how do I put my faith in Jesus? Well, it starts with simply believing what God has said about him in believing God's word. Uh, and the second piece to this is not just to believe it, just a mental assent, but then that, that assent mentally and with my heart goes from there and it yields action in the way I live my life. So it's not just believing it, it's acting on it. It's not just pointing at God's word and saying, yeah, that's true. I should trust Jesus. No, it's actually believing it and putting my faith in Jesus. It's not looking at God's word going, yeah, I should forgive that person. It's uh, actually forgiving that person when faith is lived out. Biblical faith is believing God's word and acting upon it. There, there's... In terms of salvation, that action is simply belief. In terms of obedience, that action takes all kinds of different, uh, different applications depending on where we're at in life and what God has told us to do in his word. Amen? So you got those? Believing God's word, acting upon it. Now here's the part that's hard for me. How about you? No matter how I feel. How many of you... Uh, you're like the guy on stage. When you read something, you're like, yeah, I know I ought to do that. But you know what? Doggone it. I don't want to. Anybody else feel that? Yeah. There are times where, where God's calling us to do something and, and we just we don't want to do it. 
If you're a parent and you have kids, you see this lived out in the lives of your kids all the time. They just don't want to do it. Well, as God's children, listen, biblical faith is believing his word and acting upon it, even when I don't want to. But why would I do that? Well, the last part of our definition is this, because God promises a good result. See, when I trust him, when I go somewhere I don't want to go, when I do what I don't want to do, and I I trust in his promise, he promises a good result. He does. Now, hear this. This is not me saying that, like, you believe God's word and act on it, and he's going to put $100,000 in your bank account. Good result, right? Not saying that. In fact, the good result might not come until you see Jesus face to face and get to spend eternity with him. But the good result will come because God promises in Romans 8 that eventually he works all things together for good. He doesn't, he doesn't waste a hurt. He doesn't waste a trial. He doesn't waste anything. But no matter how I feel, I need to trust him because he promises a good result. Are you with me? And then last but not least, maybe this, just this little addendum. How many of God's promises does he keep? Pop quiz. All of them. Good job, you passed. He keeps all of his promises, every single one. So what does that mean? That means I can do this with confidence. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Joseph. When the angel comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and we're in chapter 2, and we're going to see Joseph live this out on multiple occasions. He believes God's word. He takes it at face value. He acts upon what he's told. No matter how he probably felt, we're not really told how he felt other than in one occasion. But I'm guessing there's some, there's some raw feelings there for him and circumstances. Uh, because God promised a good result. And we're going to see Matthew, actually, in the way that he writes, he loves to bring up prophecy and how Jesus fulfills prophecy. We're going to see that God keeps his promises. So we got three rounds this morning. You ready? Anybody want to ring the bell? There we go. All right. We got, we got the bell rung. Let's get ready to rumble. Here we go. Matthew chapter 1, round 1, starting in verse 18. Now we're going to watch Joseph. Now pay attention. See if you see the ways that Joseph exercises this type of faith. Now the birth, 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 birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I, I mentioned last week, uh, that, or one of the last few weeks, that Mary being betrothed to Joseph, your translation, maybe it says engaged, maybe it says pledged, promised, uh, some translations have. But the idea is that it's actually more than engagement. Uh, It's like engagement. It's probably the closest equivalent to our idea of engagement, being engaged to be married. But there was actually a little bit more to it in those days. Because if you were betrothed to be married, you would get betrothed and then there would be a full year before the marriage was consummated. Before uh, the husband would live with his parents, the, the future wife would live with her parents. And then he would come and get her after a year, and that year would prove their faithfulness and their purity to one another. And so being betrothed then, to break that actually was equal to divorce and adultery. And uh, there were high consequences for breaking that betrothal. So it's, 
more than engagement, but it's less than they're not fully married yet. In fact, it mirrors Jesus, right? He, he saves us, but we're not fully saved. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and get you to bring you to be with me. And that's kind of what the, the husband does here. He gets engaged. I'm going to go. I'm going to make our house up. Then I'm going to come get you, and we're going to go live together. And that's the idea. So just keep that in mind. This is a big deal. They're betrothed together. And it says, Matthew writes, it was before they came together. So in other words, before they were living together, before uh, they had consummated their marriage and had any sexual relationship, she was found to be with child. How many guys, how many, if, if you're Joseph, you're engaged to be married. And um, by the way, Joseph probably hasn't seen Mary in a few months because we read last week uh, she went to live with her relative Elizabeth for at least a few months until Elizabeth gave birth to her son, John, and then she came home. And uh, you're, you're Joseph and your bride-to-be, you find out she's pregnant after being away for a few months. What's going through your mind? Hurt? Anger? You, you want a glimpse into how Joseph feels. Imagine that situation. And, and maybe some of you have lived, lived through that. And you can relate to Joseph in a deep way. But think about this from a few perspectives. We talked about Joseph's already. What about the community they lived in? Small town of Nazareth. Four, maybe 500 people at the most. All of us live in small towns, most of us here, unless you're visiting this weekend. And uh, you know how news spreads through a small town. Imagine one that small and what that would have been like. Oh, yeah, she's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Sure you are, Mary, because that happens, you know. I've heard of that one. I've heard a lot of stories, but never that one. How about, um, how about Mary's parents? How do you think they felt? Remember, these are real people. Disappointed, embarrassed. How about Mary's dad? Dads, do you have a daughter? Do you think he just wanted to kill Joseph? Do you think anybody believed him? Well, Joseph didn't even believe Mary when she was found to be with child. I wonder if he just noticed physically. I don't know when she was found to be with child, but it says her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. He had made a decision. Uh, and in Joseph being a just man, jo Joseph, I wish we knew more about him. Because there's a lot to learn from the little bit we do read about him in, the, in his faith, in his justice, his compassion towards Mary. I mean, in, in terms of what, uh, what they would have been following from the Old Testament at that time, I mean, Mary could have been put on public trial. And if they would have taken it to the full extent, she could have been stoned publicly to death. And Joseph would have had every right to do that. But he doesn't, does he? He's just, like he, he feels like uh, 
uh, to be just, he, he had to divorce her. That's, that's just, that's right. He couldn't, according to Old Testament law, he couldn't marry her now because if she was defiled and was no longer pure, he had to remain just and divorce her. But he also clearly had some compassion to where he was gracious to her and he didn't want to embarrass her or make it any worse than it needed to be. So he chose to divorce her quietly and there was a provision for him to do that with just two witnesses and send her on her way. But as he considered these things, look at verse 20. uh, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Saying, each time the angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And and by the way, when... uh, When you have dreams about different things, I I still believe God can talk to us in that way. But whether it's a dream or an interaction, uh, maybe God would reveal an angel to you. I don't know anybody that's happened to, but the Bible certainly doesn't say that God wouldn't do that. But whatever that case, the thing you check it against always is God's word. Like if you have a dream, God told me uh, to rob Costco and take all the money and move to Florida. I don't think he did because that's totally in contradiction to one of the 10 commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal. God didn't tell you to do that. He didn't always check it according to God's word. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm saying it's probably not normative for sure. But if he does always check it according to God's word, because Satan loves to disguise himself as an angel of light and he would seek to deceive you. And me. Check it according to God's word. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. In other words, don't shrink back from it. You don't need to divorce her because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You know, Joseph, it says he considered these things. I imagine he had prayed about it. Do you pray about things as you're considering things before the Lord? Spend time before him in prayer, waiting on him. Joseph, I think, did. I guess through many tears even. And it says in verse 21, then the angel goes on, that uh, she will bear a son. We're not told the name of this angel, by the way. We're just says an angel. Maybe it's Gabriel. Maybe it's another angel. We don't know. But she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Joshua, which would have been Jesus' personal name, Yeshua. It means the Lord saves. So, by the way, if, if you're watching too much YouTube and you see somebody say that Jesus is this word that means hail Zeus, they, they don't understand Greek. And so it's, it's not. It's a transliteration of... Somebody had, had asked me that one time, so that's why I bring that up. It's a transliteration of Joshua to Jesus into the Greek. And it means the Lord saves. And here's, here's why. You should name him that, Joseph, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph naming him officially accepted Jesus as his child. The, the father would have named the son. And so he's adopting him. When he, when he ends up doing this. And Matthew, look at verse 22 and 23. Matthew loves uh, to over and over uh, point out the times that God keeps his promises. Ma- Matthew just seems to be really intrigued with Jesus especially fulfilling prophecy. 
It happens multiple times. I think it's like 20-some times throughout his gospel. And, and he says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So before we keep reading, let's just let's, let's kind of look at our definition of faith again. Faith is believing God's word. What was God's word to Joseph? Joseph, um, take Mary as your wife. You don't need to be afraid. What she's telling you is true. And then to act upon it. Well, look at the next, uh, next verse, verse, verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He obeyed, didn't he? He acted. Now, uh, what's the third part? Believing God's word and acting upon it no matter what. How I feel. Man, if anybody had some strong feelings in obeying the Lord, Joseph had to have. Feelings of betrayal, feelings of now dealing with everybody in my small town and everything they're going to say about me. And they probably dealt with that for their entire life together. Why? Because God promised as a good result. He promised it and he kept his promise. That promise was that uh, Jesus would be born, that he would save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what he ends up doing. But in the moment, they didn't see it happen, right? The good result wasn't right there. The good result was later. Yet Joseph demonstrates true, total, biblical faith. Do you see that? So there's round one. There's round one. By the way, one, just one point to note here before we go on, and we'll move a little quicker through the other two. But look at verse 25. It says that Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Um, some would teach that, that Mary actually remained a virgin, not just through the birth of Jesus, but perpetually into the future. Uh, but the text here wouldn't support that. It says that Joseph didn't sleep with her, wasn't with her until... She had a son, implying that after that, he did. And by the way, multiple times, uh, a couple different times in the New Testament, we read about Jesus having uh, brothers and sisters. And two of his brothers, so half-brothers, half-sisters, two of them, James and Jude, wrote books of the Bible. So if you have ever wondered that, is that true? Uh, Here's here's an example where we can look to Scripture and say the, the, the Bible really doesn't support that idea. All right, there's round one of Joseph. You ready for round two? Okay, ding, here we go. Now, in between round one and round two, uh, three wise guys show up. The three wise men, right? And they come bearing gifts for Jesus. And first they come to Herod, the king and the ruler over that area of Judea. And uh, Herod was incredibly insecure. You know, he killed some of his own sons so that he could remain in power. Just an incredibly wicked guy. And while he was in charge, the wise men see a star, which uh, some would argue is an, is an angel, and see a star and follow it to, be- to Jerusalem at first, talk to Herod, and then to Bethlehem to find the newborn son, Jesus. Now it's likely, based on Herod's response, that this doesn't happen uh, while they're in the manger, like while Jesus is still a baby lying in the hay, like they all show up at once. But likely once he's a toddler, just based on what we end up reading, 
Don't know that for sure. That's just putting two and two together, but I think that's most likely. Because what happens, Herod in his insecurity says, so you're telling me there's another king that's been born? I'm, he goes, oh, okay, well, why don't you, once you find him, why don't you come back and tell me so I can go worship him too? And these guys from the east, not knowing maybe some of Herod's history, that he just would, would murder people, whoever were a threat to his throne. And so uh, they go, they find Jesus, and then they're warned in a dream to leave a different direction. And when Herod finds out about this, he's furious. And uh, he makes a proclamation that all the children ages two and under, all the boys, excuse me, around Bethlehem were to be put to death. That's timely. Be put to death, right? Can you imagine? A young child, a toddler running around. That's how wicked this man was. And so it's with that decree having been made that the angel shows up here in round two to Joseph. Look at chapter two, verse 13. Now, when they departed, the the wise men is who he's speaking of there. When they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Again, in a dream to him. And he said, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. There's God's word to him, right? So that's part one. He believed it, and we're going to see that true because look at what he does. He acts on it. Look at verse 14. And so he, Joseph, rose, and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. Now, I'm not sure what all the circumstances are here surrounding this, but... uh, but if Jesus is a toddler by this time, there's a good chance that maybe uh, there's another one either on the way or has recently been born to Mary and Joseph. We don't know. Just total conjecture here, right? But in any case, um, Joseph hears this. They had probably settled in around Bethlehem. And now here's, uh, there's somebody coming for the child's life. You got to get up and go. And he gets up and he goes. When's he go? By night. <laughs> now, How uncomfortable might all of that have been? Remember, believing God's word, acting upon it, no matter how I feel. Had Joseph had a long day working the day before? You know, swinging a hammer? I don't feel like doing this, Lord. I'm exhausted. Mary's going to kill me if I get her up and try to move her again. Like what? I mean, think about all. what, What? I don't know. But what might have been all the emotions going on in that moment? And yet Joseph does it. And for sure it's by night. So it was inconvenient. But he likely had the dream, woke everybody up, and here we go. They departed to Egypt. And it wouldn't have been an easy journey. It would have been rough terrain, walking and riding a camel. And then he remained there. They remained there where they knew no one until Herod had died. Do you, do you see that? So, so Joseph, he, he believes God's word. He acts on it no matter how he probably felt. He's a normal guy. I think he would have had some of the same emotions we would if we were in that spot. Why? Well, because God promises a good result. In this case, the good result is Jesus doesn't die. He doesn't die. They don't lose their baby's baby boy. And 
God keeps all his promises. There's Matthew again. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. And, and that actually, uh, Jesus then identifies with uh, the Israelites uh, and their journey that we studied this summer of leaving Egypt. And he's over and over, he's identifying with us, Emmanuel, God with us. But there's round two. Did you see it or am I making it up? Did he do it? All right, round three, here we go. Verses 19 through 23. But then when Herod died, by the way, Herod is simply a title So there's multiple Herods in the New Testament. Herod just means ruler. And so that was the title of that ruler. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared in a dream again to Joseph, this time in Egypt. We don't know how long they were in Egypt. Could have been a few months, might have been a number of years. But says, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. So now it's time to go back. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And when he rose and took the child and his mother, or excuse me, verse 21, and he rose, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So again, he believes his word. He acts on it. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, a new Herod, and this guy was uh, even more ruthless, in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Yet what does he do? He goes, no matter how he felt. Now you could argue that right here in verse 22, we have a bonus round. We might have a bonus round here because look, it says after he was afraid, Joseph being warned in a dream, which likely implies again, the angel appears to him in a dream. He believes that he withdrew and instead of going to Bethlehem in the south, goes north to the district of Galilee where Mary's family would have been. And verse 23, they went and they lived in a city called Nazareth. He believed God's word. He acted on it. No matter how he might have felt, God promises a good result. What was the good result? Again, they made it safely. The child didn't die. They weren't hurt. And God keeps all of his promises. Matthew reminds us again here, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called A Nazarene. Friends, when you look at Joseph's life, Joseph, we don't read much about him, but he was clearly an incredible faith and of obedience to the Lord. Of faith. If it goes out again, I'll grab this. He believed God's word. He acted on it, no matter how he felt, because God promised a good result that keeps all his promises. Listen, as as we close this morning, let's just unpack that and think through that maybe individually. Faith is believing God's word. Where do you need to believe God's word today? What is it that's in front of you or before you? And maybe you read it in his word and you go, and I hope that's true, but I don't know. Where do you need to believe him? In what have you refused to trust? Will you choose to just take him at his word? Maybe you're facing something big in your life 
maybe you're just weighing this whole Jesus thing. And you need to believe upon the Lord Jesus and be saved. How about acting on it? Maybe you believe it in your head, like you, you've assented to that, but, uh, but it's never really made its way out into your hands and into your life. You know there's something that you ought to be doing or that you ought to not be doing, but you're refusing to do that. You've, you've ascended to it mentally, but you've never put it into action. Maybe there's some sin you need to let go of today and repent of. Maybe uh, you've been hurt and uh, you need to forgive someone. Maybe you need to apologize to someone. Will you act upon what's true, what God's word tells you? No matter how you feel, you, you might be incredibly afraid to trust God through this. You might... Um, feel angry and bitter and you're holding on to it and I don't want to let that go because then what? No matter how you feel. I think we all probably have some things coming to our mind, right? Where we need to believe God's where we need to act on it. No matter how we feel, there, there's risk and we're afraid to move forward. There's doubts we're scared to let go of. And we should do it, friends, because God promises a good result. Do you believe his promises? You know, do you know his promises? Have you been in his word, reading it, meditating on it, thinking about it? It's hard to believe promises you don't know. Get in his word. Get in his word. Read it. Spend time in prayer with him. Believe his promises. And listen, let me tell you, in Jesus' name, he keeps every promise he makes. Everyone. In fact, in John chapter 3, maybe you're on the fence of believing this whole Jesus thing. John chapter 3, verse 34, John says that, that those who put uh, their trust in Jesus, they, they put their seal to this, that God is true, that God, God proves himself to be true. He keeps all of his promises. Amen. Now we have the faith of Joseph. Let me pray. We're going to sing then about God's faithfulness and goodness as we close. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks, um, Lord, that uh, we have opportunity to trust you, to believe you, um, to step out in faith and act on things that are hard or that are uncertain. Uh, knowing that, that you, you promise good things to us when we do. And, and sometimes that good thing doesn't happen right away. Sometimes the good thing that we would desire isn't the one that you have in mind, but, but we do know you're faithful and true. And in the end, you keep your promises. Lord, faith is laying hold of and being confident of that which we cannot see, but which you declare to be true. So I pray for each one here today, Jesus, that they would... Uh, they would trust you. They would believe you. We thank you for the example of guys like Joseph and other men and women all throughout Scripture, believing your word, acting upon it, even in the face of so many other difficulties, so that we too might be able to obey. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We pray all of this through him. Amen.